Langley Event Center. Your move. Ryan Dimitri. Left wing behind the net. A hold on Hardy at the side. Dimitri scores! He's going to step on Schmeeb and Byron to win it scores! Kevin Connaughton, you've got company! Bowen Byron's fifth overtime winning goal of the season! Hello everyone, welcome to the first edition of Giant Thoughts the Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Hocko, and thank you for joining me on what is chapter one of a surely exciting journey that this podcast is going to bring. Um, just an early shout out to Dan O'Connor for giving me giving me some good goal calls and whatnot to, to use for my intro. He's one of the best in the business, so shout out to him. And this is something that I've been kind of looking forward to for a while. Um, I've been kind of trying to find a way to find a time that is good to start a podcast. And then I quickly realized that there is no good time to start a podcast, so you just got to do it. Especially... With these crazy times we're living in with COVID and whatnot, I thought may as well do it now and bring some extended coverage of the Giants and the WHL and people are kind of aching for it the most. Um, before I get too far into what I'm going to talk to you today, I want to start out by sending my condolences to to all those involved in the, the tragedy today that happened in, in Kamloops regarding the Canadian Forces Snowbirds. Um, I just wanted to send my thoughts and prayers to to all those people involved in what was Sunday morning's crash. Um, just another gut shot to to a, a very rough 2020. Um, it's hard to believe we're not even halfway through it, and we've we've experienced more than enough for, for the decade of the 20s, never mind just this year. Um, but yeah, into more positive notes, um, the Giants actually gave us a bit of current events to talk about this past weekend with the signing of Colton Lankow to a standard player agreement. Um, he's the, already the fifth. Already the fifth prospect the Giants have signed this offseason in what has been a kind of a crazy offseason, um, an extended offseason with, with the WHL. We're seeing like for a couple of weeks stretch there that there was four or five picks signing every day. It seemed like it only took a couple of weeks for the for the first round to all sign, all 22 picks. Um, so it's been kind of crazy times. And it's, it's nice to see that the Giants are, are jumping in on that too, staying in the news. Um, obviously, they, they signed their first-round pick from 2020, Mazin Leslie, their second-round pick, Ty Haliberta, as well as their third-round pick, Ethan Semenyuk. And the, the fifth player as well is Damian Palmieri, who is their fourth-round pick from the last year's draft, um, which was a draft that was kind of starting to look a little a little bleak for, for the Giants. Um, obviously, it's always hard to tell within the first year of a Bantam draft how it's going to look, but... Um, it was a draft where the Giants didn't have a first-round pick. Um, they had two second-round picks in which they used on Josh Niedemeyer, who is currently committed to the Penticton Vs of the BCHL for his 16-year-old season, and the other being Bowden Singleton, who is currently committed to, verbally committed to the University of North Dakota. So it looks like he'll be going the junior A route for the foreseeable future. Um, it was a very high-risk, high-reward draft. Um, I personally liked how it was how it was looking at, to start. Um but it's just one of those things that you can't really tell how it's how it's going to play out until the kids are 16, 17 years old when they start making those those really big decisions if they want to continue their their NCAA route or or switch over to the WHL. So um, obviously there's still hope for the, for all these picks to be signing, but it's good to see that 
the Giants were able to grab commitments from a couple a couple picks from this year's draft, or sorry, last year's draft. Um, the Lancow name it might it might be a bit familiar to some of you um, in the WHL and NHL circles, as Colton is the son of Damon Lancow, who spent over a thousand games between four teams in the NHL. Um, he was a, he was a star with the Tri City Americans in the early '90s, collecting over almost 400 points in 250 games, which is very good production. I, I believe he went on to be a top five pick in his draft, maybe top six. Um, so he, his kid, it's not as he's not as a high profile of a prospect as his dad was, but nonetheless, he's going he's still going to be a very serviceable player for the Giants. He he can collect points. He's an honest player. He has a high IQ, good skill set. Um, it just—it's another just good depth signing for for the Giants. He's he's going to be one of one of currently three 2004 prospects that the Giants have that will be competing for a spot as a 16-year-old on next year's roster. So it'll be fun to see how those shape out. Um, he has some other WHL bloodlines with his his uncle Scott, who is also a goalie in the WHL and had a short stint in the NHL. And then lastly, Scott's son Beckett. He was also a goaltender like his dad just signed with the Medicine Hat Tigers last or the week before uh, or a week or two before Colton signed. So no shortage of, of good hockey bloodlines in that family. Um, it'll be interesting to see to see how Colton looks in, in training camp whenever it does come. Obviously, with all this COVID stuff, who knows when that'll be. But um, it's good to see the Giants getting all these commitments from from these prospects. Um, basically, that's that's kind of the only news we have from this week. So I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about myself, why why I decided to do the podcast, um, what kind of brought me to where I am. Um, I guess we can date back to 2004, 2005. Um, my parents had season tickets to the Surrey Eagles of the BCHL at the time. They were, at the time, they were a powerhouse. They they won the league, um, almost made it to the World Bank Cup, which is the National Junior A Championship. And that team kind of really made me fall in love with the aspect of junior hockey. It was a very exciting brand of hockey. It wasn't it seemed like it seemed like the game wasn't as predictable as the NHL maybe. Um, but nonetheless that's kind of molded me into being always a junior hockey fan, more so than an NHL fan for the last fifteen or so years. And um, which kind of came full circle for me when I turned seventeen, I was able to to play a level below the Eagles in Junior B, which I started out in Campbell River, um, made my way from there to Sycamus up in up in the Shushwap, and then finally ended off here in Delta, uh, Ladner to be specific, with the Ice Hawks. So it was kind of a very surreal experience to kind of be a part of the junior hockey culture as a player rather than just a fan. Um, it was kind of a dream of mine. It was obviously it's always every kid's dream to play in the NHL, but. Me personally, it was a dream just to be able to say that I played junior hockey and being able to do that for three years was was a dream come true. So that kind of that kind of catapulted my way into going to the media side. Um, I kind of had a sour a sour ending to my twenty year old season, so I took a bit of I took a few year hiatus from kind of following hockey closely. Obviously, I still followed the WHL from afar, but I didn't go to many games or follow follow too much, but. Um, a couple of years ago, I kind of found myself having a lot more time than usual. I wanted to do something productive with myself. Um, so I started my own blog about the WHL because my, my dad, he had season tickets to the Giants, um, from their first season at the LEC. 
Um, so I started going to more and more of those games and kind of kind of made me realize how exciting this hockey is, or not realize, but remember how exciting this brand of hockey is. And I kind of re-fell in love with it in a sense. So um, I just kind of started my own blog, blog spot, or sorry, WordPress, and um, started doing little game recaps on my own. Um, obviously, I didn't have any credentials or anything, so it was just basically whatever I saw from the stands, and I shared that. Um, I'll never remember. I'll never forget my first game doing that was when Saskatoon was in town and Kirby Doc, um, at the time, was a, a top NHL prospect, uh, draft prospect. So that was an exciting game. Uh, he scored a pretty nasty goal early in the game to kind of show off his skill set early. Um, but yeah, from there, I kind of I found Dub Network on Twitter. Um, sent them a DM. Wasn't expecting much. Didn't ex- didn't really expect to to get much of a look because I didn't have a media background or anything. Um, but luckily enough, um, they weren't, they didn't want me to do the giants right away. They wanted to see what I could do. And they gave me the daily dose of the dub, um, which is basically, which you'll Ben, Ben Dooley, our guest, which I'll touch on. Um, he, he'll kind of do the rundown of what the daily dose of the dub is as he has taken over it for me. Um, but yeah, I did that for, for a few months. Um, felt I did a good enough job at that. So, um, basically Paul at dub network, he kind of kind of gave the reins to me for the, the Vancouver Giants beat. Um, I got my credentials just in time for the 2019 playoffs. Um, I would say about a month before the 2019 playoffs kicked off, I got my credentials, which turned out to be an absolute blessing, being able to watch that team um, make their way to the WHL final, all the way to Game 7 overtime, which everybody knows didn't, didn't go the Giants' way, but nonetheless, it's an experience I'll never forget, and I... Honestly, I get goosebumps every time I think about that run. So I feel very, very blessed to, to be a part of such a, a run right away with my media career. And basically, this this past season, or I guess would have been my first full season, it was uh, 62 of the 68 games were played. But I learned a lot this season, um, kind of got more comfortable interviewing players and coaches. Um, just kind of, I felt like I came into my own a little bit as a, as a hockey writer. Um, for those of you that don't know, in December I was selected to be one of one of the ten participants in the Botchford Project, which the Canucks the Canucks did in in memoriam of Jason Botchford, um, the Canucks writer for the Athletic at the time, um, who with his untimely passing left a big hole in in the media world here. So it was it was an honor and a privilege to to be selected for for that and to be able to cover a Canucks game and kind of see kind of meet all those media guys that you see on Twitter all the time is, is a very surreal feeling and that's that's another an experience I never would have dreamed that I would that would have uh, ever experienced so um, yeah it's it's been quite a quite a it's only been a year and a half with my media stuff basically but it's been a hell of a year and a half I've met people I never thought I'd meet um, I built friendships with people that I always n- never thought that I would be on that level with um, guys like Steve Ewan Dan O'Connor, um, even just be rub, rubbing elbows with guys like um, Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance with the Botchford thing. So it's been very, very surreal, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to to have been lucky enough to do all these things. So, which basically brings me to to doing this podcast. I kind of wanted to give myself a new a new challenge, a new passion project, I guess you can call it. Um, podcast seemed to be the thing of of the media these days. So I thought I'd jump in and in the, the podcast pool and see how it goes. So 
bear with me if it ever gets a little awkward or if I kind of bumble bumble my words a little bit. Um, this is still all very new to me. So, um, yeah, just I'm excited to see where this goes. And it's something that I've been looking forward to for a long time, like I said. And with that, I think we're going to send it over to Ben. The inaugural guest on the show is the lead producer of the Joe Bennett show on CKNW. He does the daily dose of the dub for us at Dub Network. And most importantly, he's the co-host of the now defunct podcast, Ben and Steven Talk Hockey. Welcome to the show, Ben Dooley. I thought we promised never to speak of that podcast again, Steven. <laughs> I thought I'd bring it up for the for the listeners to kind of see that we've, we've been a co-host at one point. So. Yeah, yeah we, we go back a bit, to say the least. Yeah, so just give us a bit of a rundown. You you do our daily dose of the dub, for those that don't know. Just kind of give us a rundown of what you do with that. Yeah, so I'm uh, you know on Twitter a lot uh, and, and uh, patrolling uh, the new web, trying to uh, bring up the best uh, and all the uh, WHL news. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I was writing about uh, Lankow uh, signing uh, with the Giants uh, yesterday. That was... Uh, Nice uh, to get some news there because uh, as we enter these next few months, I I picture things starting to slow down a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's already starting to slow down with all the prospect signings after that big that big rush of them, where it seemed like there was three or four or five a day. Yeah, what did we have like uh, almost forty signings in the span of three weeks or something? It was it was pretty nuts. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that, but. As things slow down a bit, you, you seem to have more time you to maybe do some opinion pieces, and that's exactly what you did. Um, you did an opinion piece titled, Is WHL Hockey Realistic in 2020-2021? Um, you made some good points on what would need to happen for the WHL to, to continue without a virus. Um, just kind of give the give the people a rundown for those who haven't, who haven't read it. Yeah, well, I mean... I'd obviously much rather be talking about, uh, you know, the Memorial Cup, which is was, was scheduled to start five days from uh, when, we're, when we're recording this. But, uh, yeah, with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic that's been been going on, uh, I, I decided to try and tackle, uh, you know, the issue of whether hockey or WHO hockey will even come back in Seeing some sports returning, like the UFC, golf, and most recently soccer, does it kind of give you a bit more optimism on whether we'll see any kind of a season next year? Or do you, does that not change your stance at all? Uh, I mean, that's certainly encouraging, but I'm really watching, uh, you know, to see what happens in the CFL because, uh, you know, Bundesliga, UFC, uh, golf, those are all uh, fairly well-funded. I don't know, funded, but we're... They have a lot of money uh, mm-hmm. 
so they can afford to lose some money uh, every now and then. The CFL, like the WHL, can't uh, really afford to lose money. Uh, and the, like the CFL, the WHL also relies on having butts in the seats, which is not something we're likely to see uh, before a vaccine uh, for COVID-19 is available. So I'm, I'm really most keenly watching the CFL to see what happens there. And at least with the CFL, they have they have somewhat of a national TV deal with TSN. Um, you mentioned in your piece how the the CHL Sportsnet partnership could possibly handcuff the WHL, and that maybe they would have to turn to a regional TV deal. Do you do you kind of see that being a possibility, like a, a strong possibility with, with channels like Global or CTV or something like that? Uh, it w- I think it would be something that the the WHL would would certainly be smart to explore. I don't know what the appetite would be for for global or CTV or network like that for for something of that nature, but uh, I would say it's, it's definitely worth exploring uh, for the WHL, but I, I don't think that's the solution. I think, uh, you know, I think the best case scenario is uh, it, it's no secret that Sportsnet's losing money because of the, the NHL deal and, and how much they paid for that. So I think the best case scenario for the CHL would be for their rights to be sold to TSN. I would have to agree with that because, like you said, they're losing the money from the NHL. And the TSN's just, I'm sure they're ready to just chomp at the bit of all, with all this and kind of maybe take advantage of, of uh, Sportsnet losing all this money. And even even with the CHL deal with Sportsnet, it doesn't seem like they, they play a whole lot of games on TV, or at least not out West anyways. It seems like the WHL only gets a couple of games a season. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it is mostly, you know, OHL and the, and the odd uh, Q game gets thrown in there too. And I think that a lot of that has to do with, again, just not just not having the money to send people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out to Brandon, Manitoba or what have you. Exactly. And the Giants were lucky enough to have one last year and it, it was a pretty big success. It brings more scouts in. Um, it'd, just be, it'd be nice to see the WHL getting more of more of traction with TV, TV deals, especially if NHL is not going to be around. Yeah, I think uh, that'll, that'll definitely be key um, to to the WHL having success if they, if they do uh, come back uh, in 2020, 2021. And then an, an, another major hurdle that the WHL has to, to kind of focus on is the U.S.-Canada borders. Obviously, the WHL has a number of teams in the U.S., so with the border being closed to just completely essential travel, um, or sorry, open to just completely essential travel. It kind of puts a kind of puts a bit of a a fork in things. They like, how do you see the league working with a closed border? Do you think the the U.S. teams are just going to maybe just have their own their own divisional games only, and then see where it goes from there? Or how do you see that playing out? You know, that's probably going to be the most one of the most challenging things uh, the WHL will need to figure out because that's the not, not only is is that you know five teams uh, that you'd you'd have to figure out what to do with, but those are five pretty big uh, teams in the WHL. You know, Portland is, is one of the most well-known franchises uh, for non-hardcore uh, WHL fans. So I think uh, you know they it has to really work hard to figure that out. And I I can't right now see a scenario where where those American teams would either be allowed to cross into Canada 
would have their players cross into the U.S. because where things stand as of today. But I, I stress that, you know, it's May 17th, mm-hmm. and uh, a whole lot can change as we see uh, in this story on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, so who knows where, we, where, where we're at in September, but uh, as of right now, I would say that the most realistic thing would be that the WHL goes forward without a U.S. division. And just that alone seems crazy because that U.S. division is arguably the most competitive division in the league. It seems like more often than not, all five teams squeak themselves into the playoffs. So it'd be kind of crazy to think of a league without those teams. And I've I've seen a couple ideas of maybe they're kind of way out there, but maybe the, these U.S. teams will join other junior leagues, like whether it's the USHL or the North American Hockey League. That seems like a very last-ditch effort to try to make hockey work, but... That's just these ideas that we keep seeing that make things interesting. It's it's not, it's a, it's interesting to kind of think of all these potential scenarios to just try to make things work. Yeah, and you know what? I would I would hope and expect that the WHL is seriously considering every single option that uh, is on the table because even if they get to the point uh, that they decide, you know what, let's just cancel the season, that's not going to... That's not going to cause them. Wait, that's not going to go without uh, causing them any pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'm sure even this season, like, they didn't have much of a choice. But that's not a, that's not an easy decision to just cancel your your uh, your league like that. That's a lot of money involved. Um, luckily, they're not they're not as rel- reliant on on their money as the lower levels, like the BCHL and whatnot. So they'll probably survive this. But it's still it's still a tough pill to swallow for all these owners. Yeah, I mean, I I think for sure the league is, as as a whole uh, would survive with or without uh, hockey in twenty twenty one. But uh, you know, I look at some of the smaller teams, like like Prince George, for example. They they uh, had, had a town hall uh, um, a couple weeks ago, and they were saying, you know, they were about fifteen hundred fans from just breaking even this year. 1,500 fans a game, so that just gives you a sense of, of how much they rely on, you know, having having fans uh, in the seats and uh, and how much money they would stand to lose if, uh, you know, they went ahead uh, without fans in the seats. Yeah, exactly, and especially with these smaller market teams like the community-owned teams such as Swift Current and Moose Jaw, uh, to, just to name a couple off the top of my head, they're going to take a big hit too, those because they, they have the smallest attendance in the league. They only get a couple thousand fans. And that's that's about their maximum, so they're going to be hit pretty hard by this too, I think. But um, which kind of you're talking about how the WHL is trying to think of all the scenarios. Something that the NHL has kind of been bringing up is potential hub cities, and Vancouver or the Vancouver area has been one of the main the main ideas for for doing that. And do you think the WHL could could kind of do you think you could see the WHL kind of doing that? You know, I. I love the idea of, of of hub cities. I think if the WHL can figure out a way to make uh, a hub city work, then that's probably our best shot at uh, at having hockey in in next season. But but my biggest issue with that is you know most of the players that in the WHL are, are teenagers, and and I don't know how you can expect you know a group of of teenagers uh, to be holed up in a bunch of hotels uh, for 
who knows how long. Uh, and so that would be the, the biggest uh, issue for the WHL to explore hub cities. But the the other thing with hub cities is, you know, if Vancouver uh, in September is hosting an uh, NHL game, then that probably takes out the Langley Event Center. Mm-hmm. It probably takes out the uh, Save on Food uh, Memorial uh, over on the island. Uh, Kelowna and Kamloops are probably also going to be involved in that. Pacific Coliseum. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's four uh, WHL links that wouldn't be available to you uh, because of the NHL games. I would, I would probably think that maybe... Like a, like a prairies area kind of place would be the best for these hub cities because they seem to have the lowest number of cases. They don't like like our area here in the Vancouver area. We like we're hit pretty hard, even though we are dealing with it fairly well in in retrospect. But I would say that like maybe the communities like Regina, like the Swift Currents, is even though they don't get they're not very big places. They're probably the best places for these hub cities. I think. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, ideally you you'd want to put. Uh, uh, um, Regina or somewhere in Manitoba uh, as a hub city, but uh, then the question is, you know, do these smaller cities have the infrastructure like a Vancouver mm-hmm. or in Edmonton to to support uh, that kind of thing? And uh, I think the, the NHL quickly found out that, uh, you know, they don't. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then just when these, when, if this ever did happen and they did have these hub cities and somehow these players are testing positive. You kind of mentioned in your piece that they would probably have to shut down the league for, for two weeks. Do you kind of see, like, that seems like a very inconvenient thing for every player. Like, it doesn't seem like the season would ever kind of get any traction or be able to finish. But if that's what it comes to, that's what it has to come to. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, interesting to see um, what would happen there. You know, in the Butters League, they've gone ahead... Uh, with competition, but uh, one team has been hasn't been allowed to start yet because I guess there was uh, a positive test or something uh, on uh, on that team, and uh, so they're quarantined for two weeks before their schedule can get underway. So, so I would I would think that at least uh, one team, if there's a positive test, whoever was on that team would have to be quarantined, but. But uh, depending on what public health officials say, you could have the whole league shut down for two weeks. Which, uh, yeah, if you're just you know starting and stopping over and over and over again, that that doesn't sound like any fun to me. No, and especially, and you can't do like 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 you said with the soccer teams. It doesn't seem that realistic to just take out one team at a time, like because that team eventually has to finish their schedule. And the, if they're two weeks behind everybody else, how does that work? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's as as you're quickly uh, learning <laughs> here. It's there are so many so many issues that yeah. are that are at hand uh, for the WHL. Yeah, we're talking middle of May, like you said. It's still a long ways away, but with everything we've been talking about, it's kind of trending towards a very minimal season, if any. Yeah, I mean, there's a group out of. Oxford uh, University in the UK that's pretty optimistic that they can have a vaccine by September. And, I mean, if that happens, that would be just the best thing ever. 
because then everything we've just discussed would be completely <laughs> irrelevant. But, uh, you know, most most uh, estimates have us at about a year to a year and a half away from getting that vaccine, which uh, which is not, not good news for us uh, sports fans. No, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on because you have you're kind of on the both sides of it. You have the sports side of things, and you're and you're in the news side of things every day. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain to, about how what you think will be happening with all these sports with the COVID stuff. Um, you seem to be like kind of kind of on the media front lines of it. Yeah, I I I'm uh, you know as connected as I as I can be for uh, you know just uh, behind the scenes uh, producing, but I I'm watching. Uh, all the press conferences every day. Well, Ben, I appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, and it's only fitting that you were the first guest that I've had, so I appreciate it. I'm sure the, that you'll be on in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Take care.